Ladies and gentlemen, that was all Caleb Kinchelo. Can, isn't that amazing? I just give him pictures and he's like, is this okay? It's like, yes, it's amazing. Hi. Good morning. Yeah, we can be proper about this. We can be formal. My name is Craig. I am the senior pastor around here. Welcome. Glad you're with us this fine Labor Day weekend. The propaganda sermon. Do you know about the propaganda sermon? We may not call it the propaganda sermon. Like, there literally have been, like, political propaganda sermons throughout human history. I'm not talking about that propaganda sermon. The propaganda sermon. The sermon where the preacher has a push. There's a direction, a specificity, a clear target that the preacher is trying to move us toward in a way that's very similar to propaganda. You may know it as the get that building built sermon. You hear this beautiful exposition about Nehemiah and they built this wall and everybody came together and now if you don't come together there will be no church. If you don't write that check it's all over. If you don't, maybe it's not even about buildings, maybe it's about serving and volunteering. If you don't serve this whole thing shuts down. And you're a kind and you're a reasonable person. You're like, well, I don't want things to shut down. I'll help. So you sign up to help. You're going to serve in the kids area. They hand you a, a pamphlet that's way too big to call a pamphlet about safety and ratios and what to do if there's a fire. And they plop you with the kids. We'll check on you during the next presidential administration. Thank you very much. Propaganda sermons. Look, we get it. We get where they come from. Sometimes they come from real needs. There are ratios that we want to have to have kids safe. We don't have enough volunteers. We need service. We get that. The problem is, though, a lot of these messages, a lot of these talks that we've sat through are not being driven by something that I think creates flourishing, something I think is beautiful, something that invites us into a new way of being human. I think a lot of these messages and a lot of these calls to service are being driven by a tyranny of the urgent, anxiety, Fear of what might happen if. Who wants to be involved in that? And a lot of times we don't even catch it. We may have been, we've sat through so many propaganda messages that we're like, oh yeah, okay, they, they need help here. I'll, I'll do it. And then somebody new comes along and is like, what? What's happening? Uh, Service, service. When we don't serve in areas we're passionate about, it creates drudgery. When we don't serve in areas that we're passionate about, it creates drudgery. When we don't serve in those areas that 
flow from our story, who God made us. I'm me, you're you, I have these passions and desires I think God is moving and speaking through, and I'm going to serve over here, because that fits in with my story, or, like, oh my gosh, there's so much that needs to get done, and we just got to get it done. Uh, There's a very famous American preacher uh, of the last century, he's still alive, but Charles Stanley, uh, his son Andy, who also is a preacher, tells this story where uh, Andy's growing up watching Charles just work and work and work, and he would say things like, I'm sorry, son, it's just a really busy weekend. I'm sorry, son, it's just a busy season. I'm sorry, son, it's just busy. And Andy finally goes like, Dad, I think it's always a busy season. Problem with the tyranny of the urgent is everything's always urgent. So how do we serve? What does it look like to live a life of service that's different from that? I really believe this. Nothing, nothing annoys me more than watching people serve in areas they're not passionate about. The only thing that could possibly annoy me more is bike riders on the trail who pass you without saying, on your left. <sighs> what, kind of, what kind of monsters are on these trails? When we serve in areas we're not passionate about, there may be good motivations behind that. I'm convinced there are. Problem is, though, it creates, it propagates something that's not beautiful. It creates this tyranny, this urgency, this anxiety So what are we supposed to do? Do we just stop serving? Do we just let it be someone else's problem? This morning we have a guide who's trying to invite us into a new way of experiencing service. We have a guide who's trying to say, there's there's actually another way. A few weeks ago, uh, the elders, the, the leadership team here, got to meet with our denomination's superintendent. Super gracious of him to drive down here and meet with us. Uh, And one of the things he said, he said, wow, it really sounds like Compass is in a season of transition. That's really hard. I've led three or four churches through that as a senior pastor. Now I help oversee a lot of churches. And he said, in one of the churches I was at, we just made a mantra out of this. We just put on the wall Galatians 4.19. Until Christ is formed in us. That's the goal we're trying to get at. We want Christ to be formed in us. I was like, I love that. I'm going to steal that. That's going to be our new mantra. And I was like, oh, wait. We're introducing a lot of things. I don't want to introduce one more thing. So, hang on. Here we go. We've been saying over the last few weeks that Compass Church exists for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story. And I'm deeply convinced that we serve to find our place in his story. When we serve in areas that we're passionate about, there's this beautiful coming together, a convergence of my story, what's happened to me, why I've experienced the things I have, why I care about the things I have, and his story, how the new is breaking into the old, 
how this new creation is wiping away the old creation, how all things are being reconciled in Jesus, those two things come together, and they do that when we serve. It's too beautiful to just kind of pave over the garden because weeds are growing up. There are weeds in the garden. We don't want to be manipulative. We don't want to oblige people to serve. We don't want to wag our fingers. You ought to do this. Do you know what happens if you don't? We don't want to create an anxious culture where it's like, oh man, I got to be serving. Where am I not serving? We don't want to create a performance culture either. Oh, I serve in four areas. How many areas do you serve in? Three? (laughs) You call that service. We don't want to create that either. But we also do want to create a space where Christ is being formed in us. And we really do think that when we serve, we find our place in his story. Because service was so closely connected to his identity. One of, the, one of the titles for Jesus in the Old Testament is the suffering servant. He was a servant. And if we're going to be with our rabbi and do what our rabbi did, I think it's got to include some aspect of service, a life of doing things for others. That gets complicated. How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we do that in a life-giving way that creates flourishing? Well, if you have a Bible, our guide this morning wants to invite us into a way where he's trying to make us aware of three things. There are three pitfalls that we want to avoid when we start thinking about service. There's three obstacles. There's three things that the Apostle Paul is trying to help us see that we need to keep at the forefront when we think about service. Thing number one, service is about identity. We serve out of our identity. All right, that's thing one. I'm giving you away the outline already, okay? So don't leave after I give it. That's what, don't don't give the outline away up front. People will leave. I'm going to trust you're going to be an adult, all right? Thing number two, service is costly, and it doesn't always get results we want. So service is about identity, it's costly, and doesn't always get results that we want. And then number three, we meet Jesus when we serve. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Last week, I had the privilege of speaking at a church uh, across town. And I just did this by like a force of habit. I just read the scripture and then went, this is the word of the Lord. Just force of habit. And it would, no one knew what to do. And so everyone just like collectively made noise. I was like, this is the word of the Lord. And people were like, Bruh! And I was like, that was awesome. Like it was just really weird. So if you're new here, you, that, you may have the same experience. Like what's happening? We're going to read the passage together. Then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then everybody responds by saying, thanks be to God. All right, so I surprised a bunch of people last week. I'm going to try to keep the surprises at a minimum this week. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. If in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the most horrific of deaths, death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father. That's our prayer, to have Christ formed in us. God, in in our age where we're so addicted to being seen and success, God, what does it look like to meet you through service? What does it look like to serve in a way where we're serving where we're passionate about, where we're not experiencing the drudgery, the tyranny, the urgent, but we're experiencing redemption. We're experiencing the newness of the life that you give. God, that's what we want to experience, so we ask for your help this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul is saying that service for a Christian is not obligated, but it is anticipated. Service is not required, it's not obligated, But it is anticipated. And why can he make such a statement that service isn't obligated? Look look at how he introduces this whole idea of service to the church at Philippi. There's there's an ancient practice. It's called negative theology. uh, Where basically to find out what God is like, you say what he's not like. God is not a sea monster. God is not an angry dad. What is he like? He's a loving father. Okay, and so by saying what it's not, we start to understand what it is. Here's what Paul is not saying as this chapter starts when he's trying to motivate the Philippian church to service. He's not saying, if Philippians, you do not wake up early and get coffee ready for the church at Philippi, people are going to be drowsy and half asleep and not pay attention to the message, and they're not going to connect with God, and they're going to leave, and that's going to be your fault. He is not saying, you just got to get busy, Philippi. You just got to show up and help. We're doing something important. Buckle up. What does he say? Verses, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he gives these four if statements. If it's true that, 
There is comfort from being united with Jesus. Encouragement. If it's true, there's comfort from his love. If it's true that we have this fellowship of the Spirit. If these things are true, then make my joy complete by serving. What Paul is saying very clearly here is our service comes from our identity. Our service comes from who we are. Remember, the target that we're aiming at is not get stuff done. The target that we're aiming at is who are we becoming? What type of people are we? And Paul makes it very clear the type of people we are. We're the type of people who have encouragement from being united to Jesus. We're the type of people who are comforted by his love. We have common sharing from his Holy Spirit. And then there's tenderness and compassion. What he's doing is he's not wagging his finger. He's not obligating them to serve. However, he is backing them into a corner. He's saying, if this is true, and the strong implication is like, yeah, that's all true. All that's true. Now what? Then he says, then make my joy complete. Whew, being motivated by joy, not being motivated by fear. Have you heard of the difference between, have you heard about joy mapping and fear mapping? Do you know what those two things are? I think I may have mentioned them in here. But there's no quiz, so I'll mention it again. When you walk into a room, there's two ways to map out a room. One way that you map out the room is through fear. Oh boy, I gotta avoid that person. They talk a lot, and then they might say something that makes you uncomfortable, avoid them. I think I owe them money, avoid them. They like me more than I like them, that's awkward. That person, they put their hand on my shoulder and their hand's always sweaty, gotta avoid them. I'll just go get punch. Fear mapping. Joy mapping says, oh man, every time I connect with that person, we always end up talking about, about how LeBron James is overrated and I just love those conversations. This is fantastic. Oh man, every time I talk with this person, we always end up getting this conversation about, and that's joy mapping. Which way here do you think the Apostle Paul saw the world? This is what he says. Hey, if all these things are true, then make my joy fulfilled. It's joy that's motivating Paul to invite the Philippians to serve out of their identity. And he, he, look what he doesn't say. Again, negative theology. He doesn't say, make my day. Man, it'd, be, it'd really make Tuesday really special if you guys did this. No, this was his life's work. Inviting the Philippian church to live out their identity. This is all true about you. So live, integrate that into the rest of your life. And the way that they integrate that into the rest of their life is through service. Look with me again. Keep reading. It goes on. It gets crazier. He says this. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have this same mindset which was in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Because of who you are, you can move toward each other in a life of service. We've been talking about in this series how we want to create four spaces where Christ can be formed in us. Four spaces. We're saying the mission of Compass Church is to discover Jesus and find our place in his story. We want to create space for people to do that. So one of the spaces we've created is our gathering. Right now, what's happening? We want you to discover Jesus and find your place in his story. That's what this space is created to do. 
But we can't just do it in this space. We need other spaces too. That's not enough time. You spend way more time with your favorite news app than you do here. You spend more time at Sam's Club than you do here. Sam's Club can be more forming than this experience. Isn't that crazy to think about? We also want to connect. That was last week, what Luke talked about when he had that crazy picture. He's dumping water over the place. We also want to serve. That's the third space, serving. And here at Compass, we've made a distinction between serving within these four walls, serving this church community, and then serving outside in the community, in the city of Columbia, beyond. We call serving in these four walls, serving, we're super creative, and we call serving outside these four walls, blessing, bless. That's next week. This week is just how do we as a family, how do we as this new creation serve each other? That's what we're talking about this week. And that's the vision Paul's trying to cast. And it comes out of this who we are identity. We're united to Jesus. If all this is true, then joy motivates us to move toward one another in serving. We can give our lives to service. That comes with lots of red flags. Give your life to service. What in the world does that look like? Am I just going to be a doormat? Is it like I'm going to burn myself out like trying to help people at Compass? Like what in the world is this invitation toward? A really crucial verse that I think often gets ripped out of context is Philippians 2.4. Listen to it again. Not merely looking out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. How would negative theology help us there? He does not say, casting aside your own interests and well-being, mental health, personal health, look toward solely the interests of others. He says this, not only looking out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. This is not a subtraction of like, okay, if I'm going to serve here, goodbye mental health, goodbye boundaries, I got to serve. No, no, this is serving in a way that looks out, that is still mindful of needs and taking care of the stewarding, the time, the body, the mind, the resources God's given me. And expanding my capacity to care for others. It's about expansion, not subtraction. And say, so, well, what does that look like? How in the world do I do that? Paul then uses Jesus as a case study to show us what a life of service looks like. A lot of us, for very good reasons, get distracted by verses 6 through 11. We're like, man, this is all about Jesus. One day, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. This is awesome. And there's some confusing verses in there. And you're like, whoa. But don't miss what Paul's trying to do by bringing that up. He says this in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, as we seek to move toward one another in service, as we try to give of ourselves toward each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was that mindset? Let's keep reading. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This might be heretical, so just buckle up. All right? Superman. Superman is from a faraway place 
and he comes to planet Earth, and he's like super awesome. Okay, he was not. This is where it gets heretical. This is where the analogy breaks down. He was not awesome on on his on Krypton, right? He was just like a normal dude on Krypton. But then he comes to Earth, and like the sun makes him powerful, and like everybody's not powerful, and so he becomes like woo, super powerful. What does he then do with that power? He saves the day. He gets on the front page. He makes a crazy costume, and you know he's running around. Okay. Again, that analogy breaks down. If you just try to take it over, it gets heretical. But what Jesus did when he shows up, he's not from here. Always been God. God the Son, eternally. Always been God. Shows up. And then what, what does he do, though? Verse 6 tells us this. He did not think that equality with God was something to be used to his own advantage. He showed up of true importance. I'm a really big deal. And he didn't rub that in our face. One of the reasons church matters, and one of the things that makes church so beautiful, is church is a place where a CEO and a houseless person can serve arm in arm, and you don't know who's who. Right? You have no idea. Is it a hipster? Is it a hobo? We don't know. It doesn't matter in this community. They're serving and they're loving us. Why? Because we're following a rabbi who really had status and who did not let us know about that status. He did not rub it in our face. What did he do? Verse 7. He made himself nothing. The second thing Paul wants us to understand about a life of service is sometimes when we serve, it doesn't always work out like we thought it would. We don't always get the results we want. Keep reading. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Death on a cross. Now, Jesus is called the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That was his plan. He said, no one takes my life, I give it. But when I talked earlier about when we serve outside of our passion, it's a great way to produce drudgery. Jesus, this is a weird sentence, I apologize. Jesus' passion was not the cross. He wasn't like, man, I love crucifixion. I just, this is, I just love death. Jesus' passion was uniting people back to the Father, was uniting creation back to her creator. And so that drove him so much, he was willing to endure the most humiliating death imaginable, crucifixion. The vision he had was for this new creation, this new humanity. So he served, and he didn't rub it in our face, and that service drove him to a terrible place. Sometimes when we serve, we don't get the results we thought we'd get. Sometimes when you show up to serve, you had to find a sitter for all those kids. You decided, man, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to serve. It's chaos. Your spouse, everyone thinks they're babysitting, even though how can you babysit your own kids? Your, your spouse is a terrible babysitter. And things are going crazy at home. You show up to serve. A bunch of people don't show up. You're running around crazy. You're exhausted. This is frustrating. It's not what you signed up for. Now what? 
The strong implication that Paul wants us to see about service is this. That if God took care of Jesus when he served, the very strong and reasonable connection we can make is of course he'll take care of us when we serve. Keep reading with me uh, through Philippians. He says this. He humbled himself in verse 8 by becoming obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and uh, under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a sacred truth we just read. That God made Jesus king. He said because of the cross we're exalting you. Everybody's going to see that one day. Now why do we get this information? Verse 5. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset that Jesus Christ had. Like wait a minute. Are you saying if I serve, I get the name that's above every name? No. No, 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 no. The reasonable expectation, though, you can have is Jesus served, he stepped out, he gave, and God took care of him. He exalted him. We can trust that God will take care of us. We see, though, that, that even Jesus serving by heading to a cross gives us, like, a grid through which we can see service. Right? Like, some of you might be hearing me saying, like, hey, if you serve outside of your passions, that's just going to create drudgery, and let's just save some time. Don't bother serving. Right? We'll just skip you two months, okay? Like, you're going to sign up for something that you're not passionate about. Two months go by. You're going to be miserable. Other people are going to be miserable. We can just skip a step. Some of you hear that and go, what kind of hippy-dippy church did I walk into this Sunday morning? Serve outside your passions. Stuff needs to get done. What are you talking about? Like serving in your passions. Oh, my goodness. Passions? I'm passionate about American-made Fender Stratocasters. Like what does that mean I do? Hang on. I'm not passionate about coffee. I don't even drink coffee. Drug-free. Not wrong to drink caffeine. Don't tell your mom I said that. I'm not necessarily passionate about coffee. But, but I can serve in a way where my story comes to the picture. I can serve coffee in a way that brings my whole story to the picture. What would that look like? Uh, when I was a young like, teenager, I had a lip ring and a mohawk because I was really cool. And I had this lip ring and mohawk, and one Saturday night, I slept over at my best friend's, my best friend Russell's house. Russell's dad was an usher, and he liked to make us do weird things, and he's like, you boys are ushering with me at church tomorrow. I'm like, I don't really want to do that, but whatever. And so I show up at church, and I'm, I'm helping usher. The head usher comes over to me. He's like, come with me. And he takes me to the church basement, and he sits me down. I have no idea what's happening, right? He sits me down, and he goes, you cannot usher here. I said, why? He said, you don't look like Jesus. And I just was like, okay. And that really, I mean, that just was a wound, right? Like, geez, nobody wants me around here. This stinks. I am not passionate about coffee. 
but I can show up early and help serve coffee because I am passionate about people who were told maybe don't belong at church, finding space to discover Jesus and find their place in his story because that was me. I, I may not be passionate about setting up chairs, but if in those chairs someone who was an outcast and an outsider gets welcomed in and brought in, hey, actually, here's what Jesus thought about outcasts. Do you know who prostitutes and tax collectors were? He likes you. You're the, exactly the type of person Jesus loves hanging out with. If those chairs, if that's the conversation happening in those chairs, I'll move a ton of chairs. I'll throw my back out. So this grid is meant to be like a, a sort of paradigm for helping us budget our time. Right? If you ask someone how they're doing, what's the word you always get? Hey, how are you doing? Blank but good. What's the blank? Busy. busy. All right? We want to kind of take some of that busyness out. Here's, here's, a, here's just a grid for helping you understand how to budget your time. If you think about these concentric circles, in the, in the center there's a, a circle that just says story. And if you think, okay, the heartbeat, most of my service, about 70% of my time is going to be serving out of my story. Right? So I have seen life change in youth group. That's where I experienced life change. So that's my story. I'm deeply passionate about that. That's where the majority of my service, about 70% of it, is going to be given toward serving. I, again, maybe it's this week we're talking about within these four walls. Next week, maybe like, man, I... I had a deep experience with refugees and I just deeply connect with that. It's like, man, that's where the majority of your service time goes. We serve out of our story, wholeheartedness, bringing our whole selves to this. Because if it's true that there is encouragement, if it's true that there's comfort and affection and love and fellowship of the Spirit, if all that stuff is true for me, I can bring my whole self here and serve and find, hey, how does my story meet with this redemption story? We're going to serve out of our story. You want to spend then, if that's about 70%, you want to spend maybe about 15% of your service serving within the community, right? That's like, hey, you know what? A lot of things just need to happen around here, and I may not be super passionate about kids. Like, when I get around kids, they cry, but I really am passionate about creating space where people can discover Jesus and find their place in his story. And so I, I'm going to help these kids discover Jesus and find their place in his story because that's what I'm passionate about. Now, I'm not going to spend the lion's share of my time doing that. I'm going to give a little bit of time to that. You want to budget aside. You know, it may be something like, man, I'm serving over here in this area, but there's like a, there's a potluck coming up. I'll show up early. I'll move chairs around. It's budgeting time for that. But then what always is going to happen around here is there's going to be these one-off experiences. And you want to leave yourself margin. You don't want to be burning it, the candle at both ends. And then when something, a unique opportunity comes up, you have no margin to help out with that. So for example, Pastor Marshall, he does these trips. And life change happens on these trips. He takes people to the godless state of Colorado. And people meet God even in that wild wilderness experience. And it's incredible. And you're like, man, I love that. I want to do that. Ah, but I'm burning out serving coffee. Or I can't do it. I have no margin. We want to leave margin so these invitations for these one-off experiences can take place. So what Paul's trying to say is that, hey, sometimes when we serve, we don't get the results that we want. And we got to keep that expectation before our eyes. It is no surprise when church doesn't work out. The surprise is when it does. 
This is, a, this is a group of folks who we know were sinners, led by a professional sinner, all right? It's no surprise when there's bumps in the road. It's no surprise when the Son of Man comes to creation and they're like, mm, no thanks. What is a surprise, though, is the beauty that God can bring from those things. Uh, the, the great spiritual uh, uh, practitioners, one of the things they talk about a lot is, uh, what's the difference between, like, okay, how do we do service in a way that's not legalistic? That's not performance. That's not trying to earn. And they use this analogy of, like, hey, look, we're just opening windows. So if you're a house, and, you know, it's, it's going to be fall soon. You're going to have to leave your windows closed for forever. It's going to stink, all right? But in spring, it's nice to open that window and get some fresh air in there. If you want that fresh air in your life, you can go around opening windows. That's these spaces. It's just you opening windows. It's saying, hey, look, I want the wind to get in. I want to experience God's breath. I want to experience his word. I want to experience that, his spirit, that newness. I can just open windows. Service is a way we open a window. All right? And sometimes you open a window and a bat flies in. And you've got to deal with that bat. You've got to get that bat out of there. All right? And then you may have to get your kid rabies shots. But, like, true story. Ask me about it sometime. But, it's awful. But that doesn't mean we're done with windows. Right? We get the bat out, and then we open the window. We say, okay, we're open. That's service. And again, what Paul is saying is that if God took care of Jesus when he served, what's keeping us from thinking he won't take care of us? So we're inventing this new idea. That's not really invented. We stole it from somewhere. It's called first serve. First serve. And here's what first serve is. I'll commit to serve once or twice. Right? We're not asking for three months of your life. We're not asking for six months. We're not asking for the next presidential administration. All right? This is, what, what kind of commitment am I asking for? Hey, just come and volunteer once or twice. Throw on a blue t-shirt and wave to people as they come in and be glad to see them. Help us serve coffee. First serve. So next Sunday, after the service, there's going to be tables set up in the lobby where men and women are just going to, hey, can we get your email address? There's four areas we want to invite you to serve in and just serve in these areas. Here are the four areas. Coffee, children's, greeters, and prayer. Coffee. I drink coffee. Great. Help serve there. Children's. There's an asterisk there because... We, just, we don't want just anyone serving in children's, okay? A, you got to pass a background check. And then B, we got to make sure you're a safe person. All right, so there's, we're going to get a background check. There's going to be an interview process. And then we're going to pair you with a trusted volunteer, someone we know, okay? So we're not just like, hey, anybody go serving the kid? No, no, we, we, we really work hard to make sure that's a safe space. So there's an asterisk there. But plus, there's another asterisk with children because discipling young people is not an afterthought here at Compass Church. It grieves me. It makes my heart so sad that the church is losing ground with the next generation. Where are all the young people? It's not to say I hate old people. Please. I'm going to be old one day. It would be a terrible investment to it. I hate old people. And then I'm old. It's like, oops. All right? I'm not saying that. And I am deeply grieved 
that there is a generation of people, and there's no judgment here. This is, I don't make the rules, it's just the way it is. That they will spend their time, they do gather, they'll play pickleball. They'll show up to play disc golf, but they're not here. Oh, that grieves me. It, it really does make me so sad. Like, think about evangelicalism in America. It's always been a movement of youth. D.L. Moody reached the next generation. I was reached by this guy, Jack Wartson, who wanted to reach the next generation. Billy Graham. These are people that went out, hey, let's chase them. All right? But I'm not going to bring problems without solutions. What's the solution? Serving kids. That next generation, those people are seekers. They have questions about God. And you can be someone who lays a foundation for union with Christ with them. Whoa! That's so much better than being all caught up on stranger things. I'm serious. Give your life to something beautiful. Like, look, service is costly. If you're in college and you sign up to serve, you probably will break your snap streak. I hope you do. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you may not even know, like, what happened to me that all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, like, the Lord of the Rings show is finally out. I had no idea. If you're in your 40s, your kids might not make it to pro baseball. You may have to say no to some extracurricular activities of driving them around to Kansas City and Biloxi, Mississippi, so they can hit their games. Because you're doing something else. There may be sacrifice. If you're older, you may have to lose out on some me time. It is costly to serve. But service can produce a good tired. You can burn your life out for something beautiful. And you can be so tired. And when you hit the bed, you're just like, oh my goodness, I don't know. What day is it? But because you served, the kingdom of God broke into a place it hadn't been broken into. Because you served, some kid didn't hear the message that they don't look like Jesus, which newsflash, neither do you, bro. (laughs) But they heard the message, Jesus doesn't just love you, he likes you. You're a joy to the Father. He so loved that he gave. You can receive that. Oh, that's worth the cost. When we serve, we think that our story gets caught up in that bigger story. When we serve, we, we experience that space. We can go by a lot of names. We can call it those Emmanuel moments. Those God with us, Emmanuel moments. I had an Emmanuel moment at Dunkin' Donuts. When I was in high school, I worked at a Dunkin' Donuts in New Hampshire. Where I grew up, there's like a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner. I worked at this one. Alice Cooper came in there once. Super cool Dunkin' Donuts. I briefly dated the boss's daughter. Didn't really work out. Uh, and then she started dating this like bad news bearers guy. And, the, and then I started dating someone else at the Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts soap opera. <laughs> if 
The boss was not thrilled and blamed me that her daughter then dated this Bad News Bears guy. So she worked really hard to make my experience at Dunkin' Donuts go from like this kind of fun, like, just, whoa, this is such a cool job, to this is awful. She would send me like really slow Dunkin' Donuts where I just would be bored out of my mind. She'd make me do these menial tasks. She, and it was like really intentional. She was super mean. Like she'd come in, I'd be helping customers. She'd just come in and yell at me. It was not fun. So there was one time where she sent me to this really slow Dunkin' Donuts and it was snowing. I don't know if you know anything about New England, but when it snows, it really snows. And so it starts snowing and she calls and tells me to shovel the driveway. I was like, don't we have a plow person? And she's like, you're it. Oh my goodness. And so I'm like shoveling this like really heavy snow and I had to like, you know, manage the drive through and so like it's like cold. I had this headset on and I'm shoveling and like, you know, cars come in and I run and hello, you know, and it was awful. And then I get halfway done with this, with this uh, drive, the, the parking lot and then a, a plow truck shows up. And I was so mad. I was like, she did that on purpose. She just wasted all this time. My back hurts. I'm 17 years old. I'm not going to be able to walk when I'm 30. Like, what in the world? And so I remember, I took my shovel and I like stabbed it into a snowbank. And I was like, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to get in my car and drive away. Ha ha. What's she going to do? Fire me? I'm just going to leave this Dunkin' Donuts unlocked and quit. And so I'm thinking about it. And then I had an Emmanuel moment where I just felt the Spirit of God powerfully push on my heart. And I felt him say, now you know. Now I didn't need explanation. I knew what that meant. Now I know. This woman was making me suffer. She was humiliating me. She was a source of deep frustration that I was experiencing. And there's an opportunity to yeah, you can quit. Or you can love this person. And if you choose to love this person, you know what I experienced. And I didn't have to do that. I could have walked away. But it was an invitation. There was no obligation. It was like, hey, because of this is true, do this. And this passage, Philippians 2, was just ringing around my 17-year-old brain that didn't really study the Bible a lot. I was like, okay. And now all of a sudden, my story and the story are coming together. And I met God in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot where no one intentionally opened a window. He just broke through. We want to be really intentional to open windows to say, hey, come, serve. We think that serving in, from a place that's disconnected from what we're passionate about is going to create drudgery. We want to avoid that like the plague. And if you don't know your story, how do you serve? Well, just jump in. We'll figure it out as we go. And we have stuff in place where we're really working hard to make sure that we have safeguards against you just being in here till you drop. Serving where we're not passionate is drudgery, but serving from our story is how we find our place in his story. Father, Father, I pray that we would be people 
who trust you with a life of service. God, there's so many things that, that clamor for our attention. God, help us to be people who take that step, who say yes to the invitation, to be people who look out not only for our own interests. We don't neglect, but we expand. We also serve the community. That's all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.